our bodies are meant to to take in sugar. Uh, they're meant to digest it. I think it just depends. Everyone sort of has to find their own happy place with from, you know, if we're talking about like a post-dinner dessert, you know, okay, how much can I eat that I'm not feeling super uncomfortable? How much can I eat where I'm still able to sleep? Because sometimes that can actually impact sleep. How much can I eat that's going to feel like satisfying, but also not going to make me feel really uncomfortable? Hey, everyone. Emily Abadi here bringing you another installment of Hurdle Moment from Hurdle. This week... I am calling in the big guns because we are answering all of your questions on sugar. That's right, the sweet stuff. Today, I am chatting with Alyssa Rumsey. She is a New York City-based registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And we talk about what that is exactly at the beginning of today's episode. Alyssa and I, I love our conversation today because we are on the same page. Neither of us think that there's ever a need to completely cut things out of your diet. I have talked about this on the show before, but even when I was losing a significant amount of weight in college on my personal weight loss journey of sorts, I still went and had a donut from Dunkin' Donuts every single Saturday. It was something I looked forward to, something that made me happy, and something that in no way, shape, or form inhibited my progress toward where I wanted to go. I love what Alyssa says in our conversation today, that some things, they may be doing just that. They may be feeding us mentally and emotionally, and that can be really valuable. Of course, we are not saying to completely ignore nutritional values all of the time, but rather just understand that there's a time and a place for all things if that's what you want. It is necessary from a medical perspective for some people to keep an eye on their sugar intake. So if that's the case for you, then make sure that you are talking to an expert, whether it be a physician or registered dietitian about what's going on with you and your body. Now, topics. Oh my God, we answer so many questions in today's episode. We talk about everything from added sugar versus natural sugars. We address what sugar alcohols are. We talk about if it matters, what time of day you're consuming sugars. Address the questions about whether or not smoothies are just healthy branded sugar bombs. We talk about diet sodas. I mean, we cover a lot. I do also want to mention, because questions came in about this, that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they do have insight as to, quote unquote, the right amount of sugar to consume regularly. Of course, Alyssa and I address the word right in today's episode. According to the CDC, the average person in the U.S. consumes around 17 teaspoons of added sugar per day, and they recommend limiting calories from added sugars to no more than 12 teaspoons per day. Again, 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 Alyssa and I talk about why it's less important to focus on these numbers perhaps, and more important to talk about maybe why you're reaching for sugary things, what feelings you have when you reach for these foods, and important, stop labeling foods as quote unquote bad, and we'll get into that today as well. As always, as you are listening, make sure to tag Hurdle over on social media. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. 
And I do also want to plug our book club coming up next month. We are reading Alexi Pappas' new book, Gravy, and I would love to have you join. The link to do that is in the show notes. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Alyssa Rumsey. She's a New York City-based registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. How are you doing, Alyssa? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk with you more today. I know. Me too. First of all, I feel like I'm sure a lot of people here just now certified intuitive eating counselor (laughs) and are like, okay, talk to me about that. So talk to me about that. Sure. So, well, this is something that I, so I've been a dietitian for over 12 years now and in my training, never learned anything about intuitive eating or what that was, but I stumbled upon it um, about five years ago. And really what intuitive eating is, is it's how we were born to eat. So I always, you know, go back to like, okay, if you look at babies or small children, you know, they eat when they're hungry, they stop when they're full they're not overthinking it. They're just like trusting their body signals. But generally those signals get disrupted and we get really disconnected from our bodies as we get older. And so really it's about helping people get back into their body and get more connected to their body signals and just to be able to eat in a way that's more internally driven rather than externally driven. All right. I like how that sounds. And so today we are here to jam out about sugar consumption. This is something that I have been personally mulling over a lot lately because like you, I am a very intuitive eater. I believe that everything, including things with sugar, have a place at it certain times (laughs) in our diet. But as of late, I have just come to terms with the fact that I have certainly been consuming a large amount of it. I'm sure you hear people talk about this all the time. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think especially kind of with where we are now in the world and the year we've all just had, uh, that has been definitely a, a question that I've been getting a lot and that people have just their home and just anxiety is high, stress is high. And yeah, you know, when that happens, a lot of us, we do tend to turn towards towards sugar and toward those like comfort foods. So I think the first question that I want to kick us off with is like, what could be considered, you know, a regular healthy, if that's even the right (laughs) word to use here, amount of sugar to consume as a part of your regular diet? Yeah. Well, I love that you kind of caught yourself with the healthy there because I actually do not love even using like healthy versus unhealthy, not because there's something inherently wrong with those words, but just kind of nowadays they've taken on this really like moral quality, like healthy is good, unhealthy is bad. And it's like very black and white. And I see this a lot with sugar. And, you know, I think that when we think of eating and when we think of sugar specifically, we're thinking of, okay, you know, from health, you know, there's physical health, but there's also the like psychological and emotional health. And I think there is this like happy medium between having, you know, food anxiety or like counting all the grams or really trying to like watch out that you're not having too much sugar 
you know, that's on one end and like feeling like, okay, if I like have too much, I'm going to get this disease or this isn't like, quote, good. And then, you know, on the other hand, just like having a balance and like eating foods with sugar and feeling okay about that choice and also eating other foods. So when you ask about, okay, what's, you know, quote unquote acceptable, I do not love kind of like saying certain numbers or certain percents because I think we can get just way too caught up. It's like we lose the forest for the trees there. If we say like, okay, X grams a day or X percent of total calories, you know, certainly like people can go look up, like there are those recommendations by the government. Um, But I think really it's thinking about, you know, zooming out and looking at the big picture of your overall day. And even like more than that, like a week by week basis, because there's often this thing of like, okay, 24 hours and like every, it's like a new day and I got to like watch my intake and no, like that's not how our bodies work. So, you know, I like to look at it like, okay, are you, you know, listening to your body are you eating a variety of foods? Are you eating consistently throughout the day? I think a lot of what I've seen, you know, when you mentioned kind of noticing like, oh, I'm eating a lot of sugar. Often that's not because of like an educational thing like, oh, I don't know that sugar is in these products. Sometimes, yes. But for the most part, it's usually there's something emotional going on. It's like a stress-based eating or comfort-based eating or just like gotten into this pattern of not being in touch with our body. And so we end up you know, doing more mindless eating. I often see a lot with women too, that they don't eat as much like the first half of the day, men and women. Um, They don't eat as much enough the first half of the day. So then their cravings are higher later and they eat more sugar. So I just think it's really coming back to your body and like what feels good for you in terms of that amount of sugar and defining like acceptable to like what feels good to you. Yeah, I mean, prepping for our conversation today, I was definitely looking at some of the research and numbers that you referenced. I mean, I found one study that said that 77% of Americans are striving for less sugar in their diet. So at least I can find some solace in this, this idea that I'm certainly not alone in that. And I mean, the thing is that we'll get into next is that there is a big difference between added sugar versus natural sugars. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So so natural sugar is kind of what it sounds like. Natural sugar is foods that are sugar that naturally occurs in food, whereas added sugars are those that are added during the processing. So that could be, you know, me putting sugar in my tea this morning, like that's added sugar. It can also be, you know, baked goods or beverages or desserts that have sugar added. Um, And then the natural ones would be sugar that's found in things like fruit um, and dairy products and certain vegetables that have naturally occurring sugars. So then the next logical question would be, is one better than the other just because certain sugars occur naturally? Does that mean that it could be better to consume those ones versus that classic jar of white stuff that's in the cabinet? So, you know, from our body's perspective, sugar is sugar. Like our body breaks down all forms of carbohydrate, including sugar, into glucose, you know, once it gets to our bloodstream. So our body does not know if you are eating an apple or if you are eating, you know, a cookie. Certainly the more components that a food has outside of just sugar, like protein, fat, fiber, um, or the more complex the carbohydrate molecule is, the more work it takes to break down. But, you know, again, like our body treats sugar just the same. 
Now, usually things that have, uh, you know, the naturally occurring sugars like fruits, vegetables, dairy products, they also inherently have other natural uh, nutrients in there, right? Like they have protein, they have some fiber, they have some fat. Um, Whereas depending on what the added sugar is added to, it might not. But again, you know, we don't eat nutrients, we eat food. And I think that's what I always come back to here is just, okay, you know, what am I eating? Am I eating? Is every single thing I'm eating have something with added sugar in it every day? Okay, maybe that's not the best. But if it's, you know, occasionally, and I'm also eating, you know, other kind of more whole real foods, then that's great. Right. So I think the person that would be listening to this hears, well, if a candy bar has sugar and an apple has the same amount of sugar, then maybe their question would be, does it matter which one that I eat? And yeah, and I think it also comes back to, okay, what what do you what are you hungry for? Like what is gonna what taste are you going for in that moment? Like what do you like? Um, and I think these are things we can overlook when we're just so focused in on these nutrients. But this is really where it comes down to. Like I know for me when I started really you know, getting away from like the numbers game and just like this very external focus and came back to my body. Like I used to say like, oh my gosh, I have a huge sweet tooth and I just like love, like I can't have sugar in my house because I will just eat it all the time. But in reality, you know, when I actually started to come back into my body and not be judging it on like good or bad, I found that a lot of these things I like, a lot of these sweets or candies that I thought I liked actually didn't taste that good. They just tasted good because mm. I had been keeping them like off limits and like trying to not eat them. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think, yes, you know, natural foods that have naturally occurring sugars are going to have more nutrients in them, but I just think we have to be careful of this like very black and white. And so I'm always looking for like this gray area in the middle. We've seen all of the articles talking about sugar being a quote unquote addictive drug, but really, I mean, what is happening to the body when you are consuming sugar? Because this prompts the question, is this different than actually reaching for something that could be considered a drug? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you asked this question because I think this is something that in like mainstream is just completely not uh, explained well. And there is this, you know, assumption of like, oh, sugar is addictive. And in reality, no, like sugar or in any food, really, they're not addictive. And so I think when people describe feeling addictive to to sugar, what they're usually describing is a mix of like intense cravings or a feeling of being out of control around it or frequently like overeating it or binging it. And that experience is very real. Like that experience of like being out of control or feeling like, oh my God, I can't stop. That's a very real experience. And so the language of addiction can fit with that feeling, but that does not mean that sugar addiction is real, even if it feels real. And when we look at the research, there's actually no evidence to show that sugar, and again, any food, has a pharmacological effect on the brain the way drugs do. And there is this like, well, but doesn't sugar light up the same brain pathways as drugs argument that I sometimes hear? And well, yes, that is true. But you know what else like lights up like drugs, those same pathways? Music, looking at smiling faces, finding something funny, uh, falling in love, like all of these pleasurable things light up those pathways. And so just because sugar also lights up that pathway does not mean that it has this like biological addictive drive that, you know, other addictive drugs do. 
Talk to me about the feeling that someone might say that they get when they have – so, I mean, basically you're talking about the feeling that some people would say like, oh my god, I am detoxing from sugar. I feel awful, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is, I often like think of this as a pendulum. So on one hand, we have this like, oh my gosh, I've been like eating so much sugar. I've been like, you know, binging or just like going off the rails, some people say. And it's like, well, I got to detox. And then what happens is if we picture a pendulum, we swing all the way to the other side of like, okay, I'm doing X days, no sugar. I'm doing this program, no sugar. And yeah, usually that can last for a little bit. But it's a pendulum. The pendulum always swings back. And again, that's the body's biological drive. Your body is like, no, 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 like you're restricting. I got to make sure you stay alive. And so you just keep swinging back and forth. And, you know, this is really, you know, when people say like, oh, my gosh, I've just been eating so much sugar. My question is generally first, are you keeping it off limits? Also, are you eating enough? And like what else is going on in your life right now that is you know, causing this to happen. Um, Because really, for most people, these cravings are precisely because they're trying to not eat it. Or I feel like it's because they're trying not to deal with other things, not Mm -hmm. at all speaking from, Mm -hmm. you know, personal experience. (laughs) (laughs) The next thing I want to ask you about then is uh, to talk about the tie between uh, perhaps eating and consuming sugar and inflammation in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So, you know, with all of this, yeah, you know, there is research that does show like a correlation between high amounts of added sugar over time and certain diseases and inflammation in the body. You know, I think, again, we need to look at this in like the overall bigger picture of health and what else are you doing um, and what else are you eating? Because there's a lot of things that cause inflammation in the body outside of just food. Um, but yeah, you know, sugar and a lot of sugar over long periods of time can potentially cause cause inflammation. And there is research to show increased risk of uh, certain diseases over time. But I think we have to remember there's lots of things that show that. So like pollution, stress, you know, smoking, like all of these other things um, also go into like health and the inflammation in our body. I love this question that came in. What's her opinion on frozen fruit used in smoothies? Are smoothies, and I quote, basically just (laughs) giant cups of sugar? Question mark. Oh my gosh. I am so not surprised that this question came in because (laughs) I get this question all the time. And it depends. Again, it depends. It depends on what is in the smoothie. You know, fruit can totally be part of a smoothie. I mean, I have tried smoothies without fruit and I personally just they're not enjoyable for me to to eat. But I think it goes into, okay, how much? And then what else is in there? So, you know, and sorry, I also forgot to add, what are you using the smoothie for? Is this like a post-workout recovery smoothie? In that case, you actually probably want more fruit because you actually want, you know, more carbohydrates to stimulate glycogen synthesis, to stimulate protein uptake in your muscles. Or is it something where it's like a snack and you're trying to get through the afternoon? Then okay, we still do want some fruit, but we don't want that sugar crash with too much. So it's combining the fruit with protein, with fat, with some fiber in there. So, you know, a good rule of thumb is, you know, anywhere again from like one to two cups of fruit per smoothie. 
and then also adding some other things in there, whether it's, you know, yogurt or nut butters or nuts or a handful of greens, just things that are going to add some more of that uh, protein and fat and fiber. And you did mention something here that I do think is important to touch on timing and when you are consuming this sugar. Is there any difference if you are consuming this sugar amount per se in the morning after a workout versus considering it for that coveted time of day dessert? <laughs> um, well, I think, you know, for people who are working out, it you need sugar, you need carbohydrate for that, um, you know, recovery. So, you know, your muscles at that point are primed to uptake more of that sugar. So that's where kind of like higher amounts um, are actually going to be helpful. Other times of day, like again, our bodies, unless you have diabetes um, or unless you have a problem with your insulin, like our bodies are meant to to take in sugar. Uh, they're meant to digest it. I think it just depends. Everyone sort of has to find their own happy place with from, you know, if we're talking about like a post-dinner dessert, you know, okay, how much can I eat that I'm not feeling super uncomfortable? How much can I eat where I'm still able to sleep? Because sometimes that can actually impact sleep. How much can I eat that's going to feel like satisfying, but also not going to make me feel really uncomfortable? Someone asks, sugar alcohols, good or bad? <laughs> well, so sugar alcohol, I personally am not a big fan, but let me, so I'll first tell you what a sugar alcohol is. So sugar alcohol is basically um, a chemically made uh, molecule that our bodies cannot absorb. So they're like a zero calorie um, molecule that tastes very, very sweet. So a lot of packaged products will use sugar alcohols in order to make the bar or cookie or whatever it is to make it sweet, but without having it look like there's a lot of added sugar on the label because they actually, well, some products do put sugar alcohols on the label. Uh, I don't believe it's still not regulated. Like they don't have to. And so you're getting something that's super sweet, but you're not actually getting the sugar. Now, some people are like, well, that sounds great. <laughs> like, why, why is that a bad thing? Right. So two things. One is that sugar alcohols are really any kind of sugar substitute or what we call like non-nutritive sweeteners because your body can't absorb them. So it's not giving you any nutritive nutrients. So taste sweet, but your body's not getting any carbohydrates. This can actually cause a lot of people find that they have rebound sugar cravings later in the day because their body's like, okay, cool. I'm getting carbohydrates. I'm getting some sugar, but then their body's actually not getting that. There's the taste, but there's not like biologically, it's not getting that to digest. So a lot of people find that these things, the sugar substitutes can cause rebound cravings later in the day. The other thing specific to sugar alcohols is that these can really cause for a lot of people a lot of GI effects. So like bloating, nausea, diarrhea, because again, like our body can't digest them. Um, so a lot of people will find that those are the symptoms they're getting. And I also find that when people are eating foods with sugar alcohols, they're, they tend to be eating more because they're not super satisfying because you're not getting like that sugar and you're not getting that, um, that taste or that carbohydrate. So they tend to eat more, which then can cause more GI issues. So yeah, I'm just really not a big fan of those for, for multiple reasons. You kind of danced around something that may have to do with diet mm -hmm. soda. Talk to me about mm -hmm. diet soda. Yeah. I mean, I think diet soda, like in and of itself is fine. Like if you like it and you like the taste of it, like great. Like I occasionally will have a diet Coke. Um, 
this goes back to, I used to have Diet Coke all the time when I was dieting and restricting. (laughs) And now that I've stopped, I very rarely crave it. Like every so often I will crave it. But once I kind of was more eating things that I enjoyed, my need to have that really decreased. Um, So in and of itself, you know, diet soda is fine. Um, But again, you might find that if you are not having other foods that you enjoy and find satisfying during the day, then you might find that you're going to have that kind of like rebound craving later in the day. And then I'm kind of assuming, and you can definitely tell me if I'm wrong, (laughs) that it might be ideal to spread out your sugar consumption instead of just eating it in like crazy large doses sporadically, or am I completely (laughs) off my rocker? Um, Again, I think it depends. Like, yes, from a like feeling good, feeling, you know, not getting those energy like swings. Like when you eat a very large amount of sugar, what happens is your blood sugar rises pretty quickly. And assuming your pancreas is working, insulin comes out and lowers that blood sugar. All good. But when you have a lot of sugar all at once, there actually becomes what we call a rebound hypoglycemia effect, where your blood sugar can dip a little bit lower below normal, which signals your body to be like, oh, got to eat more. So this is often why if you have, let's say, like a meal that's mostly carbohydrates or, yeah, you're just like, oh, I don't have time for lunch and just like eat a bunch of, you know, things high in sugar, you'll get like an energy, initial energy bump, but then usually you end up like hungry again in an hour or two. Um, So that can not feel great, especially when you're like, you know, I know for me when I'm like trying to get through a work day, I'm like, no, I cannot be having those energy swings. I got to have my energy consistent. I have to be feeling good. Um, But again, like having like eating a lot of sugar every once in a while, like not a huge deal in the scheme of things. And I think when people allow themselves to, when they're eating enough during the day, when they're eating foods that they enjoy, that craving and that like desire to eat large amounts is just not going to happen as often. Something else that's really interesting and and something that was brought to my attention was the concept of sugar in, and I know we're not diet people, but in popular Mm -hmm. diets like keto and Whole30, whereas in Whole30, for example, you can have fruit with sugar that's okay, but you can't have honey. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, and I think, again, this just speaks to the dieting industry and the diet culture, like it's always like sugar and carbohydrates in the last, you know, five to 10 years have been the like nutrient of choice to demonize. You know, before that it was fat, you know, before that it was like whole food, like liquid diets were popular in the eighties, you know? So I think it's just, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. It's like, wait, why? Like, why am I cutting this out? And honestly, there's not any good like scientific uh, reason why. It's just that, you know, the this is what these diets are kind of capitalizing on is people's fears of of sugar and like feeling this need of like, okay, I got to like do something for my body. The other thing I will say with Whole30 is that, you know, I know their rhetoric is around like, well, you'll you'll decrease your cravings when you cut it out over the month. And, you know, going back to what I said before about all the the data and the science we know about cravings and restriction and uh, food addiction um, and sugar addiction specifically, actually what happens is that while it might work in the short term, for most people, there is that rebound effect afterwards. Like I cannot tell you, like every single person I work with has been on Whole30 at least once, usually more, 
which again, that should tell you something. Like if you have to do something more than one time, like, wait a second, this isn't actually working. Um, And it's so fascinating because all of them or almost all of them will share with me like, oh yeah, like even if they did get through the, the 30 days, there's always this like rebound effect afterwards. And it's also fascinating because I feel like a large percentage, it's often like the same kinds of food that people crave after they get off of it. And it's the things that they haven't been allowed to to have. So, so yeah, I think, yeah, it doesn't make sense because it's not really supposed to make sense. It's not really <laughs> supposed to make sense. Oh my goodness. So much insight here. The last question, and I know the answer to this one, a small treat, a daily dessert, totally okay, right? Yes, that's an easy one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, thank you so much for your knowledge, for giving us the lowdown on all things sugar. How do the hurdlers keep up with you on the regular? Give me the details. So they can check out my website, which is alyssarumsey.com. I'm also very active on Instagram at alyssarumseyrd. And I have a new book out called Unapologetic Eating. Amazing. We will be sure to check it out. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.